You're listening to Run With The Bulls, a podcast discussing a unique approach to everyday finance with everyday people. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro, a financial wellness company. Now, your hosts, author Danny Kofke and the royalty of financial wellness, Whitney Queen. Welcome to Run With The Bulls. My name is Danny Kofke and I'm a motivational mentor with Mentoro. I am joined by the president of Mentoro, Whitney Queen. Hey, Whit. Hey, Danny, and hello to our listeners. You know, you can never go wrong when you start off with another queen. I mean, it takes one to know one. Yes, that was the queen bee, Beyonce. She helped kick us off today since we are going to be discussing putting a ring on it. In this case, an engagement ring. I love it. And quick funny story. At my wedding, my brothers and Justin surprised me with a wedding dance at our reception Uh to that very song. Did they? (laughs) Is it on video? Uh, Probably somewhere. Okay. Uh, We will definitely have to pull it out of the archives. (laughs) So planning a wedding, what a stressful time that can be. Yes, it can. Trying to figure out where to have the ceremony and reception, buying a dress, Who's in charge of flowers and all the other things that go with this magical day? Well, I think you forgot the most important part. Mm -hmm. Open bar. (laughs) Of course, that's what you're focused on. Can't overlook that. No, no. But uh, before jumping into the big day, we need to back up a little bit and, and see what leads to it. So, Whitney, do you know how far back engagement rings can be traced? Gosh, I can only imagine. Not a clue. I'm, I would say maybe like 100 or so years. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a good guess, but you're off just a few years. <laughs> Although the ancient Egyptians are sometimes credited with inventing the engagement ring and the ancient Greeks with adopting the tradition, the history of the engagement ring can only be traced reliably as far back as ancient Rome. Hmm. So they had diamonds back then. Not so fast. (laughs) So time for another history lesson. In South Africa, diamonds were first found in 1866. By 1872, the output of the diamond mines exceeded 1 million carats per year. As production increased, those of lesser means were able to join in on this movement. What a better example, I mean, of supply and demand. I mean, exactly. And here in the United States, the popularity of diamond engagement rings declined after World War I, even more so than after the onset of the Great Depression. So how did they become popular again? I mean, I guess we can't really blame this one on Hallmark, can we? Yeah, I mean, I like how you think. I always say Valentine's Day is a made-up holiday invented by Hallmark. But that is for another episode. And, you know, they do say every kiss begins with K. So, you know, maybe that's where the the commercials kind of got us thinking, oh, we got to have the diamonds for, you know, if we really love someone. The power of advertising, you know? Yeah, it is. It does. And and it shows. I mean, I think and we're going to get into it after the break of, you know, kind of the marketing behind it. But, you know, to me, it is. It's really interesting that we think of. You know, you, you have this this mineral from a mine that all of a sudden now it like it became the static. You have to have it when you get engaged. And right. it's just, you know, marketing at its best, 100 percent. So what you're saying is that FOMO existed way, 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 way back in the yeah. day. 
Just like it does today. Even before Facebook. Even before, huh? I know. Imagine (laughs) that. People were jealous before then. So, uh, you know, but obviously the commercials and things got us thinking that. So, yeah, just kind of a good, like, lesson on how much advertisers do spend and then the, the impact that they can have basically on an entire country of, like, thinking this is what I have to do because some company that I see on TV is mm-hmm. telling me. Yeah. So, in other words, love is equal to the amount of money that you spend on your engagement rate. I mean, yeah. Yikes. And I'm going to make you wait until after the break to find out exactly how Diamonds got their groove back and who determined how much one should spend on an engagement ring. Connect with us on social media. Search at Mentoral Group on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Welcome back. On this episode, we are taking a look at weddings. So Wit, I know the old saying goes, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Since I am not a girl, what is it about diamonds? They're pretty. Well, I mean... (laughs) I, I, I see, but like <laughs> cubic zirconiums are pretty too, right? <laughs> Fair. I I think it's um, there's a level of um, exclusivity that comes with having a diamond. Okay. Um, because of that, they're given for special occasions. So to me, they hold sentimental value. So mm. within my my wedding ring, I have diamonds that makes me think of you know my my marriage, and that's very special. I have other family jewelry that's been passed down that's been kept very special, and that has you know diamonds or special stones in it. So to me, I think it's of course that they're pretty and it's fun as a girl to wear them, but it's also um, very symbolic. So like a pearl, that wouldn't be a- a- as fun to wear on your... I love pearls. But would you wear on a ring like a, instead of a diamond? Like it just, to me, it's interesting. And I, I mean, like, and I have this talk with, with Tracy as well. Um, I, it's just, I, I get it in a way, but it's just, it's so interesting to me that it's like almost like the standard of like, it's yeah. just, you feel that way. Well, I will say, and you guys can't see, but I, I also have um, sapphires in my engagement ring. And, okay. and a lot of that comes from the fact that I'm, I'm not, um, I have a very, my own very unique style. I like my own types of things and I didn't want a very traditional engagement ring. And mm-hmm. so I really liked the idea of having, um, a sapphire in it, which is actually my favorite stone. So All right. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, my ring doesn't have any diamonds, so I don't know, but well, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> as we have mentioned before, one of our team members loves conspiracy theories. I think he says something like a conspiracy is just news that comes out a few weeks earlier, something along those lines. So I decided to go down a rabbit hole to see how diamonds became so popular. Do I even want to know? <laughs> of course you do. So we'll start in 1938, De Beers, which I'm sure you've heard of, um, a big diamond company, they began a brilliant marketing campaign. Hmm. The Great Depression didn't end until 1941 when America entered World War II. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine that in 1938, diamonds were probably the last thing on people's minds. I mean, when food is scarce, rings probably don't mean a whole lot. <laughs> Bingo. I mean, like you said, diamonds were the last thing people were worried about at this time. As a result, the price of diamonds collapsed. In addition, research showed that engagement rings were going out of style with the younger generation. I kind of think it is nowadays, too. I think it kind of correlates where a lot of younger people, I've I've heard that it's not as popular Mm -hmm. as it was in years past. So, in fact, before World War II, only 10% of American engagement rings contained a diamond. 
The first phase of the De Beers campaign began with this market research. Once they had this info, they moved on to the next phase. So the next phase was advertising, which began in 1939. One of the first elements of this campaign was to educate the public about the four C's. So Danny, I'm curious, um, can you name a couple of these C's? I bet you can. Yes, I mean, one obvious one, I mean, carrot. That is, I mean, I'm trying to think. And I would say, so there's four C's, carrot is one. Well, I know I've heard like, it's clarity. Like if you see, like it can be but, but uh, I don't know about the other two. <laughs> <laughs> so then you have cut. Okay. And color. Uh huh. Okay, interesting. Cut and color. Mm -hmm. So the four C's would be cut, carrots, color, and clarity. Gotcha. Say that five times fast. I know. Uh, yes. <laughs> so after educating the public about these for years, that's when the big push came. Mm -hmm. So in 1947, a slogan that many of us have heard was coined. Ready, everyone? Fill in the blank. A diamond is Forever. forever. <laughs> A diamond is forever. That's right. I bet most of you have heard that before. The main goal of the De Beers campaign was to persuade the consumer that an engagement ring was indispensable and that a diamond was the only acceptable tone for an engagement. So what do you think? Did it work? It most definitely <laughs> did. So the sales of diamonds in the United States went from $23 million in 1939 to $2.1 billion in 1979. That is wild. I mean, marketing at its finest. Yeah, once, once again, yes. So after De Beers was successful at getting consumers buying into the idea of diamonds, next came the age-old question of how much should a man spend on an engagement ring? So early on, the recommended amount was one month's income. However, in the 1980s, the recommended amount jumped up to two months. So wh why do you think this is? Oh man, where to begin? I right. think I think it's the 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 age old conversation we've had on so many of these episodes is keeping up with the Joneses mm -hmm. because you know one one person's monthly wages is different than another's. So how do we level the playing field so that everybody can have the same kind of engagement ring that you know makes them look like you know they fit in right and i think what's hard too about this i mean maybe not so much right now because i think people are waiting a little bit longer in life to get married but like i think of my mom and dad my mom was 17 my dad was 19 so one month of his wages at that point in life i mean it wasn't much but yet you compared yourself to someone that was say 26 27 that was in a different industry they probably their one month would be a lot bigger of a ring so i think mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's just one of those things and probably once again, marketing again of like, if you really love that woman, you're going to at least do one month's worth of your salary for that ring. And I, I don't know if that even holds true as much anymore. I really, you know, since I haven't been in the market for, for quite a while now for an engagement <laughs> ring, like I'm not sure when people go if, if it is a set amount or, you know, especially right now with yeah. the way the economy has been. I don't know. I don't know here recently, but I would say maybe within the last decade, I've had a lot of friends get, get engaged and get married. And I don't think that the monthly wage is a rule of thumb anymore. Okay. And I don't know that if that's because guys don't know it or if they just ignore it mm -hmm. or if they feel the pressure of having to purchase it because that's what they feel like their 
future fiance is going to expect. I really right. don't know, but I would say based on the rings I see on fingers and the jobs I know that people have, I would say <laughs> there's right. some there's some pre-saving going on hey. to build up to that. Okay, interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, I, and I don't know, you know, it's one of those things that could be like we see and we'll get into it after the break of, you know, some of the statistics that go along with spending a lot on an engagement ring and weddings. And, you know, maybe my hope is that some younger people now will be like, I don't want to be like that because it doesn't always lead to success. But yeah, to your point, sometimes we see like people like, how in the world are you wearing that size ring or affording this type of wedding? So I guess it probably just depends on the individual. Yep, I think so. So I know sometimes I I can sound like the Grinch when it comes to buying things to show how much you love someone, right? I'm going to prove it. Uh, I love you by giving you this brand new car at Christmas with a bow on it. But uh, six months later, they don't show the same commercial when I'm paying $700 a month. But yeah, well, once again, it's another episode. Okay. but, But however, when I bought Tracy's engagement ring, I was actually laying the foundation for our marital success. Coming up after the break, I'll tell you why. Great news, you don't have to visit Spain to run with the bulls. Unless you want to get trampled, visit MyMentoro.com and use organization code RUNWITHTHEBULLS to set up your free account today. Welcome back. In this episode, we have been discussing engagement rings. You mentioned before the break that you can guess how long a couple will remain married based on how much the ring cost. Is that true? (laughs) Yes, indeed. So I must forewarn some of our listeners, if you are looking for that big rock, you may want to tune out now since you're not going to like what I say next. So economics professors from Emory University surveyed 3,000 U.S. adults who had been married at some point in their lives and found that participants who spent large sums of money on engagement rings and or their weddings were more likely to end up divorced. In mm. fact, men who spent $2,000 to $4,000 on engagement rings were 1.3 times more likely to end up divorced than men who spent $500 to $2,000. Hmm. Uh, overcompensating much, I wonder. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing by your previous comment that you spent less than $2,000, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, right you are. However, I will say I did spend more than one month of my salary because at that point in my life, when I proposed to Tracy, I was a student teacher. So for those that don't know, education majors typically spend an entire semester teaching without getting paid a cent. So your last semester of college, you're volunteering, basically. You're being the teacher, and you don't get paid. you got to pay for it. I mean, that could be a whole nother conspiracy we could go down. But, okay, well, another show, another show. <laughs> so, basically, I was teaching full-time and getting paid nothing. I did work at a golf course on Saturdays for a little spending money, but that really didn't amount to much. Okay. Well, then I guess you get a pass here. <laughs> so, since you didn't spend much on the engagement ring, I bet you had a more expensive wedding then, huh? <laughs> Once again, you have no. to look at the data, Whitney. Have to look at it. So, I know it doesn't sound romantic, but spending less on this event can lead to a longer marriage as well. And I bet you have the research to back it up, don't you? (laughs) That I do. So our lovely Emory economics professors found that women whose weddings cost $20,000 or more were 3.5 times more likely to end up divorced than women who spent $5,000 to $10,000 on their weddings. Why do you think this is so, Whitney? Goodness. Well, I would say... 
it's one of those situations more than likely where people get caught up in the act of getting married and the focus shifts from being about you know, wanting to marry the love of your life and start your life with them and more on what color flowers you should have and who all is going to get invited and how you're going to wear your hair, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Maybe for the boys, it's the bachelor party, whatever it is. Right. But, you know, I, I think you get a little caught up in, in all of the stress that comes along with wedding planning and you lose sight of maybe what's most important. It's important, right. So, um, so I'm going to go back to the authors. I love these authors. So the authors of this paper hypothesize that the correlation between high wedding and engagement ring costs and divorce may have to do with financial stress placed on brides and grooms who are determined to have that perfect day, whether they can actually afford it or not. For example, women whose rings cost over $2,000 were three times more likely to complain about stress related to wedding debt. On the other hand, those who spent less than $1,000 on their weddings were 82 to 93% less likely to be stressed out by wedding finances. So it just shows, and I think it kind of goes back to, to, to your point. And I think, here we go, we'll go back to the advertising again. And, and you know, little girls, and I, and I don't know about you, but I have talked to Tracy about it, you know, time they're three years old, four years old, sometimes they think about that day. And I don't, maybe it's, you watch Barbie, Cinderella, whatever it may be, but it's almost like, okay, what's that day going to be? So it builds up from the time yeah. that you don't even really realize what you're thinking about, but you know, it, to that big day, that big yeah, magical one day. day, my prince will come. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's one day. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong that, uh, and I'm all for, you know, if you can afford it, do what you got. I mean, that, that it, we're here at Mentor, it, that, that's fine. That's the choice you make, that's on you. But I don't want you going into debt and, and using these statistics. I don't want, you know, six months later when you're home and, and bills are coming in and you're like, oh, I just can't afford this. Did that magical day really mean as much? Because I mean, how much do you really remember from your wedding day? I mean, I remember <laughs> bits and pieces and it was, but like. Yeah. Um, I, I do remember a lot, but it something that I've said to any friend or family member who's gotten married since is like, stop and enjoy it because and, and relish in it in those moments because it's going to go by like the blink of an eye. And right. it does. And it you, does. It's this huge buildup. You have it, and then all of a sudden it's over. Right. Yep. And then many, you know, people shortly after getting married, if they have children, okay, so they have all this debt from from paying. You know, you've had to pay for it yourself, or maybe honeymoon, whatever. Maybe now you can't even afford to go out to dinner when you got a crying baby and you desperately need a babysitter, and you two need to reconnect. Because let's face it, when you get married on your wedding day, your honeymoon. I mean, you should be connected. Like you shouldn't really need a break. Like, and if you do, well, uh, then you may want to rethink your situation. So at that point in life, I mean, things are really good, but it's the year, the two years, three years down the road when the magic of that one day kind of wears off and then reality hits, life hits. And yeah, I mean, you may have a prince that comes in and rescue and that's great, but you know, at some point, most of us, we're still going to have to do something. And I, I think yeah. that's where so many people will look at even just recent statistics of money in general. We have over 60% live paycheck to paycheck. So at that point in time, does it really matter what you did on your wedding day? It may have been a great day. But, you know, I think just 
for me, the, the, just the study and kind of w- what we're discussing today, once again, if you want to buy a big rock, have at it. If you, want, if you have the money to do so. But we just, like anything in all financial situations we talk about, we just want you to have a plan. We want you to kind of think ahead a little bit as mm-hmm. well. We don't want you just sacrificing everything for the here and now. We want you to think about your future as well. Yeah, there's always a trade-off. And one thing actually that's coming to mind, we've, we've put a lot of the blame on advertising and certainly that plays a key role in a lot of big Mm -hmm. expenses. But something else, and going back historically, is like for anybody who loves to watch Bridgerton or any of the period pieces, you know, back in the day, getting married was a very political decision Mm, where it was a woman is married off to a man based on her dowry, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and so... I didn't get one. (laughs) Neither did Justin. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's... um, it it was a very uh, money oriented transaction. Right. It was a tra- right. I think that was the key word. It was yes. And a so transaction. you think about that conditioning over time that you know that's why you get married or that's that money has been intertwined with marriage yes. for a long, long time. So I think it's incumbent upon us these days to set the proper tone as to really why are you getting married right. and and. What's the point in all of it? You know, I never thought that was a great point. But because I mean, like you think in years past, you couldn't marry certain people as no. well, right? You right. Were t- so, yeah, that's an interesting concept. And so maybe that is kind of why things are still tied to that, to that traditional model that a lot of us think about when, you know, I, I think it is changing a little bit. I don't think, you know, we're as geared towards that anymore. But, you know, it, it is. It is. a, for, And even nowadays, it still is. For most of us, there are benefits of being married when it comes to finances, when it comes to filing taxes, when it comes, I mean, there's right. a lot of well, advantages. And you talk about, um, I've heard you multiple times talk about how with two daughters, you want to be able to help pay for their wedding. Right. So there is still that responsibility yes. that parents feel like they yes. have yep. over their, their children and setting them up for success. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of in that. Um, hybrid position where you have some people whose parents are willing to help out, some whose parents pay for everything, right. and some who have to pay for it all on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that changes budget. I think that changes expectations. Absolutely. I think that changes how people feel about going into a marriage yes. or, or uniting. So, yes. yeah. I mean, we paid for ours, most of it, but we knew we got married in June and we're leaving in August to go to Poland. So, like, we knew we were selling our cars and we didn't have a house to buy right away. So, I mean, yeah. it, it was different. So, Circumstantial. But, right. Yep. But I think, it, it, yes, back to what you said, I think everyone's circumstance is different. So, you know, if mom and dad are on the hook and they're paying for it all, then, hey, I mean, you do you, do you boo. But, <laughs> but I, I think it's one of those things that, yes, we just, back to the main thing, is just we don't want you going into debt huge amounts of debt for one day that the magic, you know, it does, doesn't wear off. Hopefully you have strong marriage throughout your life, but that one day, you know, it may be the highest point of, I mean, let's face it, uh, of your wedding. I mean, every all eyes are on you and it's this big momentous day. So just, you know, we don't want you to go too far <laughs> with it. Yes. Yes. 100%. So, so you did mention, um, you know, I have two daughters, and uh, and tradition does hold that the bride's family does pay for the wedding. So with these studies, especially on the wedding, the cost of it, I'm definitely going to keep this handy for when Ava and Ella, if one day they decide to get married, I'll be sure this is sitting right on the dining room table just uh, for, for them to notice. 
Yeah. I, I wouldn't be a responsible you, dad if I did not do so. I'm do you let for them. me know? Do you let I me will. know? Because I will. I will bring popcorn and wine okay. and watch yeah. all of this go down. Okay. I may like even display it on the TV. I mean, like, I'm just <laughs> trying to help. I mean, you can't go wrong with data. Emory's a very prestigious university. They have very smart professors there. Uh-huh. So, I, I mean, what choice do I have if I really love my girls? You're only spending like 2000 on the way. I'm helping you. Yes, yes. I'm sure that's exactly how it will go down. Well, folks, that does it for this episode. Please check us out on social media. We're at all of our usual places. And if you ever have an idea for a topic that you'd like us to cover, feel free to email us at podcast at mentorgroup.com. Yes. And Whitney, thank you so much for chatting. Thank you for listening. And you dads out there, I did my best to help. Catch us next time as we run with the bulls. Run with the Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro and hosted by Danny Kofke and Whitney Queen. Learn more by visiting mentorogroup.com.